Well, good morning. It's great to see you. For those of you who weren't in the room earlier, I made a fool of myself. Uh, for those of you that were, you're welcome. It was, it was, a, it was a good time. Uh, it's good to actually have people in the room. It's good to be with you online. If you're in your living room this morning, it's weird preaching with people in the room. I'm, I'm excited about it. It's been, it's been five months since that happened, so I'm excited to launch into this brand new series called Everything You Were Created to Be. And unfortunately, i got to start this series off with some bad news. And the bad news is that, is that you've been lied to by the people who love you and you lied to the people you love. The, the lie that you've been told by people who love you and, and that you tell the people you love is that you can be anything you want to be. Now, this lie starts when we're young. It, it's like, you know, we're get, we get asked or we ask young people, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, and we all have big desires and goals and dreams. We say, I want to be an astronaut or a pro basketball player or the owner of the Yankees or a movie star or a pop star or the you know, coach of the Nebraska Cornhuskers, and people go, man, if you, if you believe hard enough, if you work hard enough, you can be anything you want to be. And then as we get older, you know, we start thinking about being anything we want to be in really practical terms. We go, you know, I want to be married to that specific person, or I want to have X number of kids, or I want to be a billionaire by the time I'm 30 years old. And people, if you believe hard enough, if you work hard enough, you can be anything you want to be. And the bad news is, and I'm sorry to say, it's just a lie. It's an absolute lie. The truth is you can't be anything you want to be. And those of us who are older know you can work tirelessly toward a dream or toward a desire and, and still not attain it. And you got to know I'm an extraordinarily driven person. Like dreams are, are really important. Goals are really important. And striving toward them are really important. I think you should have dreams and goals and you should work hard to achieve and to attain them. However, you've got to know you can't be anything you want to be, even if you're the hardest worker and even if you have all the faith in the world that you can be. Because some things are just outside of your control. I had a friend when I was growing up who wanted to be married to Cindy Crawford. If you know who Cindy Crawford was, she was like young people. She was like the, you know, the biggest model in the world in the late 80s, early 90s. He wanted to be married to Cindy Crawford. Well, he can't be anything he wants to be. Not a reality. Uh, Christy, my wife, wanted to be the mother of five kids. And we ended up having five miscarriages and one stillborn child, and we ended up being told we can't have any more kids. It doesn't matter how hard and how, try, how much Christy tries, Christy can't be anything she wants to be. I wanted to be the linebacker for the Denver Broncos. I cannot be anything I want to be. I stopped at, you know, five, nine and a half with shoes on, 190 pounds, I'm not all that fast. I can't be anything I want to be. So the bad news is you can't be anything you want to be. But I have some good news for you today as well. And the good news is, you can't be anything you want to be, but you can be transformed into everything God created you to be. See, creator God, your heavenly father has one ultimate desire for you. And it's not for you to become anything you want to be. It's for you to be transformed into everything he created you to be. The Apostle Paul, who wrote a large part of the New Testament, wrote this to the church in Corinth. In, in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. See, God's ultimate desire for you, for me, for, for everyone, is to, is to transform us into everything that he created us to be through Jesus. And what I say next is going to seem weird to some, especially if you're not a follower of Christ and you're kind of skeptical of the whole church thing and you've got some questions or issues with the Bible and this, this whole Christian thing. So regardless of who you are, regardless of where you are, regardless of where you're on your spiritual journey, where you've been in life, regardless of what your age is, your, your past, or where you currently are, regardless of who or where you are, 
You want to be transformed into who God created you to be more than anything else. Because, first, you may never achieve what you want to be after working hard for years to get it. And then what? See, the gap between what people want to be and where they are, it creates hopelessness. It creates unfulfillment. It creates discontentment. I think this may be what causes people to have midlife crises. You want to be who God, you want to be transformed into everything God created you to be more than, more than anything else. Secondly, because even if you become what you want to be, you're going to discover it doesn't provide what you really want. See, we think, becoming, we think becoming what we want to be will provide significance and happiness and joy and fulfillment and purpose. And, and so many people have discovered that it doesn't. And when it doesn't, we're left unfulfilled, disappointing, and, uh, disappointed and searching, searching, searching again. I wanted to play college football. I got that opportunity to play college football. And when I got there, I was left completely empty. It didn't provide anything that I thought it would provide once I got there. You and I, we want to be transformed into everything God created us to be more than anything else. Third and finally, because the more we're transformed into who God created us to be, the more we see, the more we understand, and the more we know God in the way the rest of the world does not. And the more that happens, the more we experience the life that only God can provide through Jesus. And the peace and the hope and the joy and the significance that only God can provide through Jesus. So... Over the next few weeks, instead of asking the question, what do you want to be, we're going to be answering a better question. The question we're going to be answering is, how are we transformed into everything God created us to be? And to begin answering that question, you, you've just got to know that transformation, really, it's a work that only God himself can do. And it's a work that, as, Paul, as we just saw Paul said, he promises to do in us through Jesus. However, we have a critical role to play in it as well. Now, depending on your church background or your church experience, many of us assume that our crucial role to, it, to play is, uh, is to play Jesus Says. And, and you've played Simon Says. Any of us who were kids have played Simon Says. You know, that game, you know, Simon Says jump and you jump. Simon Says walk and you walk. Simon Says sit and you sit. Uh, go over there. But Simon didn't say it, so you're out of the game. Like, we know how the, how the game Simon Says work. Well, for some, the Christian life feels a lot like, like that. It feels a lot like Jesus Says. Jesus says believe, so you believe. Jesus says don't believe, so you don't believe. Jesus says behave that way, so you behave that way. Jesus says don't behave that way, so you don't behave that way. And many people who, if they ask you, like, are you a believer? Like, whatever even that means. But you know what they mean when they ask, are you a believer? Hey, do you believe all the right things? Do you behave in all the right ways? And if you say yes, but then do something that they believe Jesus did or did not say to do, then you're out of the game. And you didn't tell anyone this, but you're kind of glad you're out of the game because the game, Jesus said, is just kind of exhausting. Right? It's, just, it's no fun. There's no joy in it. So you got out of the game. You were pushed out of the game. But then you attended that summer camp or you came on Sunday and you heard that sermon all talking about how, you know, God transforming us through Jesus and the life and the joy and the peace and the fulfillment that he gives when we are transformed. And something stirred in you going, oh, I just, I do want that. I do want what only God can provide. And you go, okay, I got to get back in the Jesus says game. And so you do. And it's okay for a while. But sooner or later, you do something that people tell you takes you right back out of the game. And I think this is why many people, maybe you, 
have given up on church and bail out after high school or college or you get married because all you hear is do, 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 don't, 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 believe all the right things, behave all the right ways, and you aren't disciplined enough to be a believer and you're exhausted by it. And you go, I just can't play this stupid game. So I'm out. There's no life in it anyway. And if that means I'm going to hell, okay, I'm going to hell. At least there'll be some fun people there with me. It's kind of where you're at. Well, I have some more good news and some more bad news for you. The more good news is this whole Jesus says thing is not even close to Jesus' approach. See, Jesus didn't come to give you a list of behaviors or beliefs. He came to transform you into who God created you to be in order to give you true life, as Jesus described it himself, life to the fullest. But I have some more bad news for you as well. The bad news is if you don't discover and start leaning into Jesus' approach, you're never going to be transformed into who God created you to be. Therefore, you'll never know and experience the life that Jesus came to offer you. Now, many times when we hear the word God or Jesus or the Bible or church or spirituality, uh, the word we associate with it is religion. But Jesus associated why he came with an entirely different word. And the word Jesus associated with why he came was relationship. Now, if, if you were to erase your memory bank, bank of everything you know about God and Jesus and the Bible and spirituality and start with a blank slate, and then you were to pick up the Gospels, the first four books in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the, the four books that record Jesus' life, ministry, death, and resurrection, if you were to, to pick up the Gospels for the very first time, the amazing thing that you would discover is they are extraordinarily relational. You would discover that Jesus came to change the religious paradigm that existed. You would discover that Jesus came to shift people's minds from thinking, uh, thinking from religion to relationship. You would discover that Jesus came to change how we think about God, how we approach God, and ultimately how we relate to God through him. Which means if your approach to Jesus is anything less or more than relational, you've missed something. You've missed something. Jesus has invited you into a life-transforming relationship with him, bottom line, not a cheap version of it called religion. When we play the religious Jesus says game, we lose sight of the relationship Jesus came for. And when we lose sight of that and begin pursuing a list of things we be, uh, to believe or behaviors to do, we don't experience being transformed to who God created us to be. Therefore, we miss out on the joy and the victory and the freedom and the salvation and the life that's only experienced in a relationship with Jesus. Another thing that you're going to notice if you pick up the Gospels is that Jesus continually used, continually used one phrase to invite people into a relationship with him. And the phrase was not believe. The phrase was not behave, the phrase was not obey, the phrase was not do or don't do. The phrase that Jesus continually used to invite people into a relationship with him was follow me. Now we're going to come back to this phrase over and over and over throughout this series because according to Jesus, this, this phrase, follow me, is how we're transformed into everything God created us to be. The, The amazing thing is that Jesus extended his follow me invitation to every kind of person, rich people and poor people, spiritual people and non-spiritual people, religious people and irreligious people, all kinds of people. He just said, hey, follow me, follow me, follow me. 
And what I want to do is I want to take you to one of the earliest accounts of this in the Gospels in Matthew 9. And this story takes place not long into Jesus' ministry as he's putting together his team, as he's putting together his crew. And it's a story about Matthew, who wrote the book of Matthew, told by Matthew himself. And Matthew ended up becoming one of Jesus' 12 apostles. And here's how the story goes. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at at a tax collector's booth because Matthew was a tax collector. Now, in order to understand the intensity of this story, you have to understand what a tax collector was in Jewish culture in the first century. A tax collector was a Jewish trader. In Jewish culture, a tax collector in, in, in the area of Palestine, was a, there were Jews who were traders on their own people. They collected taxes from their own people, from the Jewish people, for the, Roman, the ruling Roman government. But when they, when they collected taxes, they took more than they were required to take, and they kept the extra for themselves. So they stole from their own people. They lied to their own people. They cheated their own people. They, they were like the, looked as, as the worst of the worst kinds of people, the only thing that we could possibly understand what a tax collector would feel like for us today uh, in, in the first century was that person who hangs out behind the gas station to sell drugs to middle school students as they go to get candy at the gas station. Like Matthew was one of those people. Hated. He was an outcast. A tax collector, they couldn't even, a Jewish tax collector, they couldn't even go into the Jewish temple to worship God. Like that's how much of a disgrace they were. Matthew, Matthew was one of those people. And Jesus, he walks up to Matthew as he's sitting at this tax collector booth. And he says something that Matthew would never forget. He says, hey, Matthew, follow me, he told him. Follow me. And this wasn't a casual invitation like, hey, take a break for a couple hours. This was a formal invitation into a relationship to become part of Jesus' inner circle, inner group. It was a formal invitation for Matthew to begin identifying himself with Jesus and for Jesus to begin identifying himself with Matthew. And Matthew, look what it says. Matthew, he didn't hesitate. He immediately got up and followed him. Now, I imagine the religious, the Jewish religious leaders who were called Pharisees were all, who who were always like lurking around Jesus to criticize him, were thinking the same thing that religious people think today. Hey, hey, Jesus, it can't can't be that simple. You can't just say to a tax collector, follow me, and he becomes like part of your group. There's got to be more that those people got to do first. Those type of people got to believe first. They expected Jesus to say something religious like, hey, Matthew, once you blank, then you can. Like once you go through these three steps or complete these three projects, and I'll come back and check with you on a week, once you start doing the right thing, stop doing the wrong thing, show up on Sunday, make sure you give enough money, once you believe all the right things about me, once you lay down your life for me, Matthew, then you can follow me. But Jesus, he didn't say any of that. He didn't make his invitation to Matthew conditional. He simply invited him to get up from his chair and follow him. And Matthew did. And it changed his life forever. See, Jesus' simple invitation to follow me is the most accurate picture of what faith in Jesus looks like. Many people come to associate two labels with faith in Jesus, Christian or believer. And you got to know, first of all, Jesus didn't call anyone to be a Christian. As a matter of fact, Jesus never used the word. Which is why the definition of what a Christian is is so fuzzy. Christianity has become a list of religious behaviors to do. And it's subjective. 
So often Christians make up the behaviors they want other people to do and not do. And Jesus, secondly, surely didn't call anyone to be a believer. What does that even mean? Believer that he's the son of God? Believer that he existed? Believer that, believer that he died on a cross for your sins? Believer that he rose from the grave? If that's the definition of a believer, then Satan himself is a believer because Satan believes all those things about Jesus more than you do. Being a believer, it's what it's become is, is become a list of right things to believe. This is why I never use the word Christian to describe followers of Christ, and I yet never use the word believers to describe followers of Christ. See, Jesus invited people to become something with much more clear definition. He invited people to become his disciples. And what a disciple is is very, very clear. See, being a disciple of Jesus means we're in a relationship with Jesus through faith in Jesus— asking Jesus to be the forgiver of our sins and leader of our life, characterized by following Jesus so that we're transformed by Jesus to experience the life of Jesus, the hope of Jesus, the peace of Jesus, the fulfillment of Jesus, the salvation of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus. Being transformed into everything God created you to be requires that we set aside any religious baggage that we have and start thinking in the most simplistic terms because it's the most simplistic invitation by asking the most simple question and the question is, am I following? Am I following Jesus currently, actively? Listen, if that seems too simple for you, it did for the religious people in Jesus' day as well. The story goes on. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, so real quick, kind of like Matthew accepts the invitation, Jesus' invitation. He gets up from his tax collector booth. And Jesus says, hey, Matthew, awesome. First step in following me, I'm going to make it very, very simple. Let's go somewhere familiar. Let's go somewhere comfortable. Let's go to your house. By the way, Matthew, this is probably going to ruin my reputation, going to tax collector's house, but it's going to give us an opportunity to get to know each other better. So while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him, Jesus, and his disciples. Jesus goes to Matthew's house. And Matthew's so excited that he invites everyone he knows. But the only other people he knows are other tax collectors and sinners. The worst of the worst. People looked as disgusting. The outcasts. When you look at them, you thought, oh, those people. And there those people sat and ate with Jesus. And Jesus' other closest disciples, other closest followers. And this is a big deal. This is a big deal for all of us, regardless of your past or present. Regardless of how you view God or think he views you, regardless of how you've been treated by people who say they're followers of Christ or not, the big deal for you and me is that Jesus likes you. He likes you. And he wants to know you. And he wants you to know him. Listen, he knows everything about you. He knows everything you did in your past. He knows everything that's happening right now. He knows all the feelings that you're, that you're feeling. He knows what you did last spring break. He knows what you did last night. He knows your doubts about him, your questions about him. He knows how you've cursed him. He knows all of that stuff, and he still wants to know you. And he still wants you to know him. And that's what we're seeing happening with Matthew in this story. But it got interrupted by religious people who were lurking around. The story goes on. When the Pharisees, they're the Jewish religious leaders, when the Pharisees saw this, so the Jewish religious leaders, the Pharisees, they're standing outside of Matthew's house because Matthew wouldn't let him in. Like imagine Matthew going, hey, I don't like you, you don't like me, 
you ain't coming in my house. So the Pharisees saw this and they asked his disciples, Jesus' disciples, evidently Jesus' other disciples, you know, his 12, they're coming and going out of the house. So they, so they, they asked Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? I mean, these religious leaders, they're just confused. They're going, hey, Jesus is a holy man, we're holy people. Jesus is a law keeper, we're law keepers. Jesus worships God, we worship God. Why would he choose people he's nothing like instead of people that he's like? Why are we standing outside while those people are in there with him? And Jesus hears the commotion outside. And here's where the story gets a little bit strange. Listen to this. On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. Now, real quick, imagine being Matthew and hearing this. He's in Matthew's house. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Hey, James and Peter, Jesus says, go out and tell those Pharisees. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And I imagine Matthew going, you are a guest in my house. Are you calling me sick? And I imagine Jesus looking back at him and going, Matthew, you're a tax collector. Of course you're sick. Like in Matthew, he's so intrigued by Jesus that when Jesus said this, he goes, that's, that's a little offensive, Jesus, but you're right. I'm sick, and I need a little help. The reality of it is, is that you're sick, and I'm sick, and we're all sick. We are all separated from God because of our violation of sin against him. None of us are who God created us to be because we're born with a sinful nature. We all have parts of us that need transformed, that need to be made new. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus himself said, I have come to seek and to save those who are lost, those who are sick, those who are separated from their heavenly father because of their violation of sin against him. That's you, that's me, that's everyone. Jesus came on a mission to restore and redeem our relationship with our heavenly father and to transform us into everything that God created us to be. That's what Jesus gave his life on the cross for and that's what Jesus rose from the grave to prove that he can do. And this is so, so, so important. Only people, only mothers, only fathers, only married people, only single people, only young people, only old people, only white people, only black people, only people who are willing to look in the mirror and say that they are sick and that they are lost are candidates to follow Jesus. People who aren't aware of their sickness are the ones who opt not to follow Jesus. Now, Jesus, he wasn't done offending the religious leaders because, you know, he's Jesus. And so he goes, hey, go, go, go tell the Pharisees this as well. But go and learn. And this is, by the way, so offensive to the Pharisees because all they did was sit around and learn. All they did was sit around and read the Hebrew scriptures. But go and learn what this means. And then Jesus post, quotes a passage from the, from the Hebrew scriptures, our Old Testament, from the book of Hosea, which says this. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And they knew this, this verse. And Jesus is going, hey, they're going to think that, that, that they understand what that means, but here's what, I'm, here's what I'm talking about. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call, important phrase, come to call. Come to call the righteous. That's how the Pharisees viewed themselves because they thought they believed all the right things and believed all and, you know, behaved all the right ways. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So I have come to call. I have come to call, I have come to call the sick, sinners, lost, to follow me. 
I've come to call those to follow me, those who understand that they need a Savior. See, Jesus' simple invitation to Matthew is the same invitation he's extended to you and the same invitation he's extended to me. And his invitation was not and is not, change how you believe and change how you behave, then you can join me. His invitation was and is, come on, come on. Come as you are. Come as you are. His invitation was and is, follow me and you will be transformed. Says Matthew, Matthew. Listen, doesn't matter how you currently are behaving, doesn't matter what you currently do, believe or don't believe. I'm inviting you to come as you are and to take a next step to follow me. But Matthew, let me warn you, if you follow me for very long, one day you may look in the mirror and not recognize who you see. Not because of the endless game of Jesus says, but because of your relationship with me. So Matthew, follow me and you will be transformed. Now, in view of Jesus' simple invitation, let's go back to what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians again to the church in Corinth. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. See, the writers of Scripture tell us that we enter into a relationship with Jesus through faith in him. By asking him to be the forgiver of our sins and the leader of our lives. And at that moment, at the moment that we enter in a relationship with Jesus through putting our faith in him, something weird happens and something amazing happens and something unexplainable happens and something powerful happens. And that is that God's spirit takes residence in us. As Paul says, this is how we are now in Christ. We're in Christ because his spirit is now residing in us. And at that moment, look what else he says. At that moment, we're immediately transformed. The old is gone and the new is here. We go from being separated and estranged from God to being reconciled and restored. From being disconnected to God to being reunited with God. From being lost to being found. From being spiritually sick to being spiritually healed. From being a sinner to being redeemed to being an enemy of God to being a friend of God. From being guilty before God because of our violation of sin against him to being declared innocent and forgiven and justified. We go from being promised eternal death to being promised eternal life. We're a new creation. We're a transformed creation. The old is gone and the new has come immediately, but there's more. See, from that point forward, with every next step we take to follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit transforms us more into everything that God created us to be. We're transformed into people who look more like Jesus, people who, who, who are filled with his love and his joy and his peace and his patience and his kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. We're transformed into the person, into the mother, into the wife, into the father, into the husband, into the child, into the friend, into the boss, into the employee, into the leader and to the servant that God created us to be and that we desire to be. We're transformed from being unhealthy mentally and emotionally and relationally to being unhealthy. We're transformed from being broken to being whole. We're transformed from being selfish to being selfless. We're transformed from being unfulfilled to being fulfilled. We're transformed to being, from being people of despair to people of joy. We're transformed from being people who worry to being people who trust in God no matter what. We're transformed from being people defined by hopelessness to being people defined by hope. We're transformed from being filled with shame to people experiencing freedom. We're transformed from being people who are foolish to people who are being wise. We're transformed from debilitating addiction and bondage and shame and guilt and 
and comparison and anxiety and fear to being people filled with his peace were transformed from being people known by envy and deceit and hatred and me first to people who are known by love. With every next step we take to follow Jesus, we are transformed into a new creation. The old goes and the new comes. And the transforming work that God wants to do in you and me is never done until we're dead. It's a lifelong process. So, with that being said, you can't be anything you want to be, but you can be transformed into everything God created you to be. And you want to be. You want to be transformed into everything God created you to be because the more we're transformed, the more we see and understand and know God. And the more that happens, the more we experience the life and joy and peace and hope and fulfillment that only God can give right now. But to be transformed, we must accept Jesus' simple invitation of follow me. Jesus' invitation to follow me is an invitation for you, regardless of what you currently believe or how you currently behave. Regardless if you've been a part of a church your whole life, or you've never showed up on a Sunday morning ever. Regardless if you know every verse in the Bible or you've never read one word in the Bible. Regardless if you pray always or you've never prayed a day in your life. Regardless of what, is, of what you're ashamed you did last night or if you've never cussed one cuss word in your whole life. So the million dollar question is, well how? How do we follow Jesus? And that's we're going to talk about the next three weeks. So I'd encourage you, come back. I'd encourage you, tune in over the next three weeks. But what I want to do today is I want to close by asking two questions. Two questions that will determine how impactful the next few weeks are for you. And here's my first question for you. Have you accepted Jesus' invitation to follow me? Have you accepted it? See, following Jesus starts with entering in a relationship with Jesus through faith in Jesus. Asking Jesus to be the forgiver of our sins and the leader of our lives. If you haven't accepted Jesus' invitation to follow him by putting your faith in him, I invite you to do that today. And you go, oh, man, I can't. I can't because I have too much junk in my life. I can't because I still have some doubts and some questions. And I don't know if I want to because I don't know if I want to follow all the rules, whatever rules those are. So let me just say a couple things to you in regards to accepting Jesus' invitation. First, having sin doesn't disqualify you. As a matter of fact, it's a prerequisite. Every person that Jesus ever invited and said yes to him was a sinner, was sick, and was lost. The only people that resisted following Jesus were those who thought they were without sin. There is no sin, there's no addiction, there's no habit. There's no problem that puts you outside of the circle of those who have been invited by Jesus. And you go, Ronnie, well, you don't know me. Well, you're right. Maybe I don't. But Jesus does. And yet he still extends his invitation to you. Second thing I just want to say to you is having doubts and questions doesn't disqualify you because everyone has them. None of Jesus' earliest followers believed everything about Jesus immediately. I mean, Jesus is saying, hey, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Savior, I'm the Anointed One. None of them believed that immediately. As a matter of fact, most of them didn't believe it until they saw him rise from the grave. And how much faith does that take? You saw a dead guy rise. you kind of just like, yeah, I'm going with that. You know, that takes like no faith, 
right? And most of them didn't believe it until that moment. And by the way, you see all the other, you, you know, you look in here, like all these church people who are in here, they don't have any questions or doubt. You see, hey, look, see all these church people in here, see me? We all have questions. We all have doubts. I do. Welcome to Doubters Anonymous. You can put your faith in Jesus, and I think you should, even with your doubts and even with your questions. I still got them. As God, as God has transformed me more into who, he's, who, he's create, who he has created me to be, my questions and my doubts, they haven't gone away. And I've done quite a bit of studying to try to make them go away. They still haven't gone away. They've just become less significant. They've just become smaller. As God has transformed me more into who he's created me to be. And this last thing I want to say to you, this is huge. The invitation to follow Jesus is not an invitation to a list of rules, a list of do's and don'ts. It's an invitation to relationship and to a life-transforming relationship with Jesus. And rules don't make a relationship. Anyone who's married know that. Obeying all the rules doesn't mean of marriage doesn't mean we have a good marriage. Two people in marriage who love each other, they never pull out a list of five things every husband should do and five things every wife should do. And if we do those five things, then we're going to have a good marriage. No, they don't even think about that list because they they have a relationship where they love each other. But here's what Jesus knew and here's what I have to warn you about. If you start following Jesus, if you really start following Jesus, you're going to start to believe differently. And if you really start to follow Jesus, you're going to start to behave differently. And not because you have to, but because your relationship with him will transform you. If you haven't accepted accepted Jesus' invitation to follow him by putting your faith in him, by asking him to be the forgiver of your sins and lead your life, you can do that today right where you are in this room online. You can do that right today right where you are. In just a moment when I pray, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray quietly where you are today. And I would just ask you, if you do, or I'll just say that if you do at that moment, you got to know that God promises that his spirit is going to take residence in you at that moment. That at that moment, you will immediately be transformed into a new creation. The old will be gone and the new will come. And he will begin transforming you into everything he created you to be as you take next steps to follow him. If in a moment you decide to put your faith in Jesus, we'd like to give you a gift. Uh, it's one of these Bibles. Uh, we had these Bibles made a while back. Um, they got some, call them the relevant Bibles. The same is inside. There's nothing different inside. It's just on, on the outside. We have a relevant logo on here. And we have our, our mission statement on the back. Helping transform people into everything God created us to be. And we want to give you one of these as a gift. So if you're here in person today and you put your faith in Jesus... Go to the next step area. Tell them, today I put my faith in Jesus. And we're going to give you one of these Bibles this morning. If you're watching, watching online, just text Jesus to 55444. And we'll mail you one of these Bibles. Here's the second question I want to ask everyone um, to really, really launch in this series to determine how impactful the next few weeks is going to be for you. And this question is for everyone who would say that they've put their faith in Jesus. And my question for you is, are you actively following Jesus? Are you actively following Jesus wants to transform you. And that happens not because you believe. That happens not because you prayed a special prayer at some point in time. A disciple is someone who follows Christ actively. 
Being a disciple of Jesus, being a follower of Jesus means we follow Jesus one next step at a time. Transformation happens one next step at a time. So are you actively following Jesus? Are you living as a follower of Christ? Are you living as a disciple? Over the next three weeks, to everyone who said that they've already put their faith in Jesus, who would identify as a follower of Christ, I'm going to give some very, very, very practical next steps on how to follow Jesus. And I believe through some of those next steps that I give that you are going to be convicted You're going to be inspired. You're going to be mad. You're going to be happy. You're going to be, I don't want to. You're going to be like, I do want to. Something is going to stir inside of you through some of of these next steps that I give. And that stirring inside of you, I believe, is going to be God's spirit stirring inside of you. And so here is how I'm going to encourage you to live as a disciple over the next three weeks. Whenever your heart is stirred in you for whatever reason, a conviction, a prompting, uh, I should, whatever that prompting is, right now, before it even that prompting happens, today, right now, the commitment that you and I can all make is, Jesus, before you even ask, my answer is yes. Jesus, before you stir in me in any particular way, whatever way that you stir in me, my answer today is yes. That's how disciples Live And if you do, if you do, God is going to do something extraordinary. God is going to do something transformational in you over the next three weeks. Let me pray. God, I pray for every person in here who says that they're one of your followers, Jesus. I pray that we just continue to accept your simple invitation of follow me, follow me, follow me. I pray that we'd never turn following you into a religion. We never turn it into a set of beliefs or a set of behaviors. We turn it into actively following you and where you are leading us based on your spirit's prompting, based on what you've revealed to us through, through the words of scripture. I pray that as we do over the next few weeks, we learn how to follow you more, Jesus. I pray that you just do a transforming work in us for your glory. Father, for every, any person in here who's never put their faith in you, Jesus, who this morning as I was talking felt like I want to, I should, I need to, I pray they choose to do that right now where they are, whether they're sitting in this room or watching in their living room, wherever they are. I pray this moment quietly that they confess to you, Jesus, that they are sick, that they're lost, that they do need a Savior. And because of your death and resurrection, you prove that you can be the forgiver of their sins. That you can justify them before a holy God. And that you can give them eternal life. Right now, I pray that they ask you to be the forgiver of their sins. And the leader of their life. God, as they're praying that, I pray that your spirit comes and takes residence. You give them an assurance of the transforming work that you've done in them right now. The old is gone and the new has come eternally. And I pray that you start just prompting them on how to take next steps to follow you, Jesus, so that you transform them more into everything that you created them to be. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.